Good morning. Well, we are continuing in our study in the book of Acts. Uh, We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16. Uh, Last week was a hard passage in many ways. We looked at the the, the unfortunate uh, division between Barnabas and Paul, and yet we saw how God in the midst of that still worked uh, for his glory to build his church and his kingdom. Um, this week it takes a, a better turn, and it's a it's a more joyful passage. Uh, we are introduced to one of the great saints of the early church, Timothy, uh, Paul's younger companion. Uh, so we'll be looking at just the first five verses of chapter 16. Uh, you can find that in your bulletin. Hear God's word. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this encouraging passage where we see Timothy uh, who comes to faith and who follows Paul in the ministry and who himself becomes a minister of the gospel. Uh, we thank you for the way that faith is passed on uh, from generation to generation. We just pray your uh, blessing on our time here as we study your word, open our hearts to see uh, Christ more clearly uh, and to rejoice in the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Seth just prayed, uh, on Friday morning, my grandma, 94 years old, went home to be with the Lord. She was the last of my grandparents uh, to go home to glory. Jane Smick was a godly woman who prayed daily for the faith and salvation of her children and her grandchildren. Someone once told me that uh, the church is built on the prayers of grandmothers. Uh, And uh, I can say that for my own faith, uh, my grandmother's prayers, both hers and my other grandmother's uh, prayers, were invaluable in encouraging me. And God uses those prayers of faithful, godly women and men, grandparents, grandfathers too. Um, And so I'm eternally grateful. For God for that. And I share this uh, with you this morning because our text is about generational faith. It's about passing on the faith. It may not seem like it at first blush. In some ways, it's a pretty straightforward text. Paul returns to Lystra. We had already seen how he had come uh, there before, how, in fact, he was stoned and almost killed in the same place uh, by the Jewish leaders. But he comes back to strengthen the churches, to encourage them. And he meets uh, a woman and her son and uh, this young disciple, Timothy. Um, and he's a young Christian with promising gifts. Uh, the, the, the church in that place spoke highly of him. Uh, and he decides that Paul decides that he wants Timothy to be his companion as they go on their missionary journey to encourage and strengthen the churches. In some ways, it's a really straightforward text. 
Yet I think there's more to it. And we'll be looking at some other passages that draw out some of the details. Um, But the question is, who is Timothy? And how did he come to faith? Why was he circumcised? It's a really glaring question there in the text, isn't it? Because Paul just went to battle over the issue of circumcision. Um, So why did the Apostle Paul have him circumcised? Well, we'll look at these things. As we begin to answer these questions, I think what will become clear is that God works through generational relationships. Our faith is generational. It's meant to be passed down from one person to the next within the context of family. Um, But it's more than that. The Lord not only uses the generations to pass on down through those families, but He takes members of those generational families and He uses them to go spread the gospel to new families, to start new generational faith, if you will. And this is really a story about that, about God's faithfulness from generation to generation. We see it, of course, in the Old Testament with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Generation after generation. Um, And I think we see it here in the New Testament. And Timothy is maybe a prime example uh, of this kind of faith. Uh, So that's what we're going to look at this morning. This short passage, God is faithful from generation to generation. And He's faithful from generation to generation, firstly, by cleansing our guilt and shame. This is how he works. Uh, we're going to uh, just think a little bit about this person, Timothy, and who he was. At the beginning of the passage, uh, we are introduced to a disciple uh, in Lystra by the name of Timothy. And all we're told in the passage is that he was the son of a believing Jewish woman and a Greek father. That's all we learn about Timothy here. Uh, It almost seems like an aside uh, that Paul's just kind of making a note, um, just kind of a passing comment. Um, But we know a little bit more about Timothy because Paul actually wrote letters to Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy. Not only that, but uh, throughout his Paul's letters, he mentions Timothy over and over again. He sends Timothy. He asks for Timothy to come to him. There's all sorts of times where Timothy is mentioned. Um, But in his letters... To Timothy, we learn a little bit more about his family. Uh, in uh, his second letter to Timothy, uh, we're told that the faith that Timothy has first dwelt in his grandmother and then his, in his mother. Uh, interesting. And we have names. Eustace was his mother's name, and Lois was his grandmother's name. But it says, the faith first dwelt in them. Now that's kind of an interesting comment because what we do know is that Timothy, along with his mother uh, and presumably his grandmother, uh, who were in Lystra when they first heard the the gospel proclaimed approximately a year before, uh, would have all sort of come to faith in Christ at the same time. Maybe maybe Timothy wasn't around and they went home and talked to him later or whatever, but the the reality is that the faith that they had um, uh, in Christ Christ particularly, or at least in Jesus as the Christ particularly, has only been since Paul was there last. So what does the Apostle Paul mean when he says the faith that was in your grandmother and your mother first? I think what Paul is speaking about here is their faithfulness as as Jews before hearing the gospel. Their commitment to the word of God. 
and, and I'll explain why. Um, there, but there is, I think, something else that stands out in the text. Eustace, that's Timothy's mom, was a Jew, but her husband was a Greek. Um, that's a really interesting comment. And on account of the text, there's a, there's, it's mentioned twice in our text at the very beginning that, that Timothy was the son of this Jewish believing Christian woman and this Greek man. But again, in verse 3, you'll notice Paul, it says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, you could just read that simply as... His father was Greek and not a Christian. But the word therefore uh, was has the connotation of existed. In other words, he used to be a Greek. Um, the commentators, almost to a man, argue that his father had died. Uh, we don't have... Uh, we don't have anything else beyond this text, but the, the language, the, the text itself seems to indicate that his father was no longer living. Um, so there's a picture that's unfolding of this family. Here was Eustace, uh, presumably a widow, the daughter of Lois, who up and married a Greek man earlier, um, which would have no doubt been a shameful thing in the Jewish community, for her to marry a pagan woman, I mean a pagan man. Um, we don't know why she did it, but we can imagine that this might have made life in the Jewish community quite difficult. On top of that, the son who was born to her was not circumcised on the eighth day, as he should have been as a good Jewish child. Uh, maybe her husband didn't allow it. Again, we don't have the information. We can make assumptions. Um, we aren't told why. But this was another shame-inducing reality. Here she was, uh, married or formerly married to a Greek uh, pagan, and she had a son who was not circumcised. It made them unclean in that community also likely brought shame to the grandmother Lois, too. But we get a sense that in Paul's letter to the second Timothy, when it says that, her, that the faith that was dwelt in Timothy's grandmother and mother, as I already meant, that there was a deep abiding faith despite the shame, despite being unclean. These women did not forsake their faith, rather they pursued God. Now we don't know why she married this uh, Greek pagan, but she could easily have chosen to follow his gods. If the Jewish community would ostracize her in any way, make her feel shamed in any way, she could, she could walk away. She could start to worship the false gods of, of Greece. It would have been much easier, wouldn't it? Just kind of wash your hands of the situation. You don't feel the shame anymore. You just imbibe. You just take it all in. Yet in the reality of their predicament, in the shame of being unclean, she continued to go to the synagogue, she continued to study the Word of God, and she continued to instill in her son the Word of God. 
And Paul reflects on this right before he exhorts Timothy with those important words from 2 Timothy chapter 3, which we often quote, which is, All Scripture is breathed out by God. Right before those statements, the Apostle Paul says this to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And of course, it's immediately followed up with those words. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Eustace and Lois equipped Timothy as they also equipped themselves. So that when Paul and Barnabas marched into Lystra and proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the one who was promised from long ago, when they came and they proclaimed this, Lois, Eustace, and Timothy's hearts were ready to receive the gospel of grace. Maybe, again, conjecturing, Maybe she hung to prophecies in the Old Testament like this one found in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1 that says, On that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sin and uncleanness. Maybe Eustace was looking forward to that day. Can you imagine all the shame that she bore She desired to be clean. Eustace and Lois understood their need for the Christ to come and to save them. They knew that as the law that they were, according to the law, that they were unrighteous and unclean and helpless in themselves. And maybe they pointed uncircumcised Timothy, who probably wondered why he was growing up. Uh, and was treated by his fellow Jewish uh, friends, so to speak, as unclean, as he was wrestling with that. Maybe they took and looked at Timothy and they pointed him and said, there is a fountain of living water for you that's coming. And so, what happens? When Paul and Barnabas come to proclaim the good news that the Messiah had come, that He had died, that He had rose again from the dead, that He came to wash away the sins of His people, you can see why they were ready to receive the Gospel. Well, as we recognize the generational nature to our faith, I think there are some things that we ought not to miss from the example of Eustace and Lois and Timothy. First, we we ought to bathe our children in God's Word. To bathe our children in God's Word. We should live in a world where the Word of God is regularly present in their lives. I, I, I'm going to. I think it's it's an obvious application. While well, we should have our regular Bible times of devotion with our kids, and I think that's absolutely important. But it's more than that formal stuff. It's more than that formal stuff. It is the life discussions that we have with our children. It's the the moments, we call them teachable moments, uh, when we try to make sense and help them make sense of their pain. 
or their joy or the difficult trials that they face or their sin or as they make sense of the created world around them as they look and wonder at things. We have teachable moments where we can bring the Word of God to bear in their lives. We tie them together in those everyday moments. We ought to wash our children with the Word. And if you don't have children, that's okay. I have some for you. (laughs) The children that you see running around this place, you have opportunities to wash them in the Word. And feel free to do it. You know, sometimes we as parents, you know, or or you see parents with their kids, you think, I don't want to step into that. That, That's their stuff. That's their children. I, I don't have a right or a place to do that. But friends, we are the family of God. We have a responsibility. We take that responsibility when every time we make an oath at a baptism, we say to the congregation, do you promise to come alongside these parents in that work to bathe them in the Word? But in order to do this, we need to be washing ourselves with the Word. Friends, it won't come out of us unless we ourselves are in it. It just won't happen. We ought to bathe our children in God's Word, but we ought also to point them to their need for the cleansing blood of Jesus. And that begins with us recognizing our own need for Jesus. That Eustace and Lois didn't join in stoning Paul, but rather believed, I think, is because they recognized that their hope was not in themselves, was not in their obedience or their righteousness, but it was in Christ. Now, of course, I'm conjecturing that they didn't actually pick up stones, but I'm conjecturing on that because they believed. Um, But maybe they had a change of heart. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm making some assumptions here. I realize that just tentative. But at the same time, I think, you know, there is something to broken sinners. Uh, They are much more recognize. They're much more able to recognize their need of Jesus. Friends, it's the only way we come to recognize. Uh, it's only when we come to recognize our desperate state that we are receptive to the gospel. Uh, the, the folks in Lystra who were unreceptive to the gospel because they thought in themselves with some sort of righteousness that they had in and of themselves. Uh, it's when we recognize our brokenness that we're able to say, I need Jesus. And then it's at that point when we can show our kids that we need Jesus, that we can tell them with all sincerity, honesty, and, and, and strength that they need Jesus as well. There's no greater testimony to our children than humbly admitting our own brokenness and sin and that we must have Christ cleanse us. Well, God is faithful from generation to generation by cleansing our guilt and shame. And secondly, and this is the last point, there's not a ton in this text, um, God is faithful from generation to generation by blessing the families of the earth. Well, what an amazing thing. You have Lois sharing the Word of God with her, her daughter uh, Eustace. You have Eustace sharing the Word of God with her son Timothy. And then Timothy you have being sent out of the family to go reach the world. 
That's the, the picture we have here. Paul takes Timothy. Timothy's a young man who is commended by the church in Lystra. Um, but then we have this really curious thing happen in the text. It says, Paul has Timothy circumcised. I told you I had to address this. This is kind of a, a strange thing. It makes me want to say, what? Like, didn't we just go down this path? Like... Uh, a few chapters before when Paul would not let it go. Don't we know that Paul himself in his letter to the Galatians excoriates the Judaizers and, and this issue of necessitating circumcision to be, a, to be an insider in the, in the community. He gets uh, indignant on this topic. Uh, isn't he bringing around the letter? Don't he and Timothy take the letter from Jerusalem? It says it right here. They take that letter from Jerusalem and bring it around to the churches. So why in the world is he having Timothy circumcised? What's going on? I think there are, there are two things that are going on. Uh, for one, Timothy is not a Gentile. Now you might say, well, his father was a Greek. Yes, his father was a Greek. But in Jewish circles, uh, your, your Jewish heritage is actually passed on through the mother. Uh, and since his mother was Jewish, he would be considered Jewish. And that, that still extends to today. I have a friend, he's a pastor in Pittsburgh. Um, he was an assistant pastor at the church I was associated at. And he, uh, his mother was Jewish. And so he was technically Jewish, but of course he had uh, um, converted uh, to Christianity. And he was, uh, it, was it was interesting because we actually worshipped in a Jewish um, school, a Jewish day school. Uh, and so uh, he, it was just interesting because he had a certain perspective, having grown up in a Jewish, a partially Jewish home, because his father uh, was came from a Catholic background. So, kind of similar uh, to the situation here. Anyway, all that is to say is he would have been considered Jewish, and yet he was not circumcised. This was a major issue. And everybody knew it. That's what the text tells us. Everybody knew it. It says uh, uh, here, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So it was necessary for him to be circumcised. Why? Um, Not for any reason regarding salvation. Circumcision of the flesh does nothing. It doesn't change anything. But Timothy, as a Jew, would have had a very hard time ministering to other Jews without being circumcised. It would always be unclean. Therefore, it was for the sake of ministry that Timothy underwent this procedure. Now, Titus, who is a Greek, who had, was not Jewish, does not get circumcised. Right? Why? Well, because he was a Greek. He was, this, was, uh, this was the whole point that Paul was arguing, that to become a Christian, it was not necessary to go through this process. But here with Timothy, it was an opportunity for him to submit himself to this, to this uh, procedure in order to minister. For the sake of ministry, Timothy went under this procedure. And this brings me to my second point. And, and, and I, I, to the heart of my second point. Uh, 
This is a, a, a generational faith. Right? It's what we've been talking about. Circumcision in the Old Testament pointed to the generational nature of the faith. Of course, it was no longer necessary. Uh, baptism, a much more universal sign, had taken its place, but it was no longer necessary. But nevertheless, Timothy stands as a bridge. He was generationally blessed. He grew up in a Jewish home. He enjoyed all the blessings of of being washed in the Word of God. He enjoyed growing up in the faith. And yet he stood as the bridge. See, what an amazing gift to the church he was. Because he could enter into the synagogue, especially after being circumcised, and, and speak the language and know the heart of the people that he was ministering to. And he could also go into the marketplace and speak as one who grew up, you know, as an uncircumcised uh, pagan, so to speak. He didn't grow up pagan, but he grew up under a, a father who would have uh, been a pagan. He stands as a bridge between the Jew and the Gentile, and the picture of how the families of the earth would all be blessed through the ancient generational promises of Abraham. You see that? Uh, if we go back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, we have this great, great promise of God. This is when Abraham was, was called. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, he's a pagan, remember, he lived, uh, he, was, there were, he was uncircumcised at this point, and said to Abraham, he was called, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So at first, it's all about his generation. And we, we, we read about his generation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Jacob's son. All of them sort of generationally enjoying the promises of God. But then the next section, it says this. Uh, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Timothy here stands at the at the, the, the sort of apex at the pinnacle of the or at the moment when the gospel was breaking out across from one sort of generational line from, from the Jews and into the Gentile world and Jew and Gentile were coming together. And so as an uncircumcised uh, Christian uh, and a circumcised Christian both together he comes and he is able to minister. His circumcision is a reminder to him and to those around him that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is now for all, both Jew and Greek. God is faithful to his promises and he blesses all the families of the earth. I love my family very, very much sitting in the front row here. And I've described to you ways in which I grew up with the love and prayers of godly parents and godly grandparents. But if I'm honest, there are days in my life and in this world when I think about my own kids and think, man, if I couldn't just take them out of the world and go and build a cabin in the woods and hole up, it would just be us from generation to generation to generation to generation, and I could ignore all the mess of this world. I could put my family at the epicenter of faith. It's called an idol, by the way. 
And there's a subtle idolatry that can creep into Christian homes or any home that is this, that we can think it's just about us. But Eustace lets her son go. Eustace says, waves goodbye, not knowing when she'll see Timothy ever again. Timothy goes with Paul, and they extend the family. That's what they do. Here, Timothy, who had faithfully, who had a faithful, godly family, is sent out to extend the family of God, to extend the generationalism, to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And of course, this is the gospel, isn't it? This is what Christ does for us. Perfect communion, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did He need us? Absolutely not. Perfect communion, perfect love, perfect fellowship. He could have holed up, especially after, the, after we fell, after Adam fell in the garden and humanity rebelled against him. He could have said, I don't need that. He could have kept to himself. Yet what does the living God do? He bridges the gulf between us and him. He leaves his heavenly Christ, leaves his heavenly Father, and enters into a world that was broken, that hated him, that rejected him, so that he might make of those people, those enemies of his, his extended family, his brothers, that he could call the, us his kin, his loved ones. And this is what Timothy does he reaches across, it's like a bridge. Christ bridged that gulf. And as we think about what is our calling as, as parents, as kids, as grandparents, what is your call? First, rejoice that we have a God who is faithful from generation to generation. That He washes us and cleanses us from our sin and He calls us friends and He calls us brothers and sisters. He calls us children. And secondly, we can do the same in our families. We can, we can wash them with the, with the Word. We can encourage them to grow up in the faith. We can share with them our own brokenness and sin and, and watch them become fruitful. And then we can send them out and extend the family of God. That's what we see here because we have a God who Himself extended His own family to include you and me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we confess that we are prone uh, we're prone to want to, to hold up as families we're prone to want to keep to our own sometimes we we even fail in our own families to, to sort of bathe ourselves in the word of God but we ask that you would be faithful to us as a faithful God that you would in, in, encourage us to reach out to, to, to those who are lost uh, across all boundaries of ethnicity and culture. And Lord, we ask that you would make us uh, uh, desirous to, to, to bridge the gulf. But we thank you for the gulf that you bridged. That you came and you washed and cleansed. We thank you for the gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.